angels praise Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing My great Redeemer's praise The glories of my God and King The triumphs of His grace The glories of my God and King The triumphs of His grace my gracious master and my god assist me to proclaim my gracious master and my god assist me to proclaim to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name jesus the name that charms our fears that bids our sorrow cease jesus the name that charms our fears that bids our sorrow cease this music in the sinners ears this life and health and peace this music in the sinners ears this life and health and peace so it's it's kind of him that we know in our tradition the methodism it's him number one in the methodist hymn book and and in our hymn book it has like eight verses but i discovered that when uh, the wesleys wrote that hymn 47 verses we're not singing them all 47 verses let's pray lord thank you that we are able to gather together different people with different cultures different languages different backgrounds different experiences we gather together to praise your name to lift high your name to experience your goodness and your grace among us and so as we stand we give to you these our gifts our tithes our offerings all that we have is yours. All that we bring belongs to you, for you are good, and you are God, and we thank you, and we trust you, and we ask you to use all we have and are to your glory, not just today, but every day. Amen. Please be seated. So one of the things we've discovered over the last few weeks as we've been kind of experimenting with different ways to involve people and, and when we get into the sermon just now you'll understand why that's part of the plan is that when we've got to our um, intercessory prayers one of the things that that's happened is I've invited people who are in need when you have a need simply to stand now it may be a need that you have or you may know of someone and, and there's someone you've been praying for or someone who's close to you they have a need and so we've been inviting you to stand in their place and many people have come to me over the last few weeks and said that's just such a special moment for them to know and it's not about who's, who's around you but to know that as I stand that God sees me and God knows my need or the need of the person in whose place I stand and so in a moment um, I'm going to ask you simply just to close your eyes to create a you and God moment and if you have a need doesn't matter what it is, uh, and it may be a need that you have or need that somebody else has. I'm inviting you just to stand where you are in God's presence and just recognize that here God is 
able to touch our lives. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now we are here standing in the temple. And Lord, as we come before you, as we sit and as we stand before you, thank you that you know we're here. You see us. But you also know the things that we have brought with us, the worries that have kept us awake or troubled us, the fears that sometimes have frozen or immobilized us or caused us to act in weird ways. You know our past, you know the people that we're worried about, situations we're worried for. And Lord, as we come before you, thank you that you see us and know exactly what we need even before we even say a word. Our standing and our praying even is because we put our faith in you. And so we say, here we are, Lord. Make a difference in our lives. Will you touch us? Lord, will you touch each person in their unique situation? Would you heal and strengthen and restore? Would you give courage and hope and remind them that you have a future for them? that you have them in your hands, that you are the potter who reshapes or shapes the clay. Make a difference, Lord. Hear the cries of our hearts. We pray for our community and the world in which we live in, a world that in very many ways is upside down and inside out. And we pray, Lord, that we as your people, as we gather together, may be inspired so that when we go out, we make a difference there. And that everything we say, everything we do, every prayer we make, every gesture of love would be what you use to turn the world right side up. Thank you, Lord, for the food pack yesterday. And may each, each, meal, each meal be a sign of your love. May your grace continue to work in the things that we do and say on a daily basis. And then, Lord, as we, as we go into the rest of this week, you know what lies ahead. And because you are good and you are God, we will trust you for what's waiting at home, what's waiting at work, what's waiting in the new week. We will trust you for that because you are good and you are God. You are faithful and true. And so we will praise you. And lift your name on high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. So one of the sets of slides that we run before our services um, kind of just ties into our intercessory prayers. And, and one of the slides in that series is, says, when you, when you sit in church and you're waiting for the service to start, sit quietly and just look around you and see the people sitting near you and begin to pray for them. Because it just does something when we gather together and, and we're praying for each other and we're praying for what's happening in the service. Um, and, and we said it when we started that at the beginning um, of this year, it feels so long ago, um, that those of us who lead worship, you feel it when you come into church and people have been praying for the service as they've come in. You sense it. So please keep doing that. All right, so we're hitting this new series um, 
called worship or titled worship. Um, kind of, I thought of all sorts of clever kind of titles and just worship made sense. So we'll just go with simple. <laughs> so in the, in the early 1990s, uh, Simon, there's a sermon there somewhere. Oh, there it is. Oh, okay, he's, he's getting there. In the early 1990s, there's a young church musician by the name of Matt Redman leading worship at a church called Soul Survivor in Watford in the UK. Matt Redman's gone on to write some of the most incredible worship songs used in churches around the world, and is also now a multiple Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter. Today, we've already sung one of his songs. It's rising up. But you will also know songs like Holy Moment, 10,000 Reasons, Blessed Be Your Name, I Will Offer Up My Life Once Again, Lord, Let Your Glory Fall, Help From Heaven at the Cross, and we're going to end with another one of his songs later. At the time, a young youth worker who was then studying to be an Anglican priest, a guy by the name of Mike Pilavachi, a bit of a flamboyant maverick, was just starting out as young adults pastor in that church, and at the time, the church seemed to be struggling with worship. It felt flat and inauthentic. And so Mike took the brave decision to, to take out the lights, the sound system, sorry, Darby, the instruments, sorry, Wendy, the microphone, sorry, singers, take it all out of the church. And Mike Redman tells the story like this. There was a dynamic missing so the pastor did a pretty brave thing, he recalls. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the band for a season. And we gathered together with just our voices. His point was that we'd kind of lost our way in worship, and the way to get back to the heart would be to strip everything away. Reminding his church family to be producers in worship and not just consumers, the pastor, Mike Pilavachi, asked the congregation this one question. When you come through the doors on a Sunday... What are you bringing as an offering to God? When you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as an offering to God? Matt says the question initially led to some embarrassing silences, but eventually people broke into a cappella songs and heartfelt prayers, encountering God in a fresh way. Before long, he said, we introduced, reintroduced the musicians and the sound system as we gained a new perspective that worship is all about Jesus. And he commands a response in the depths of our souls, no matter what the circumstance or the setting. And so the song Heart of Worship describes what occurred when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. When Matt Redmond shared heart of worship with Mike Pilevacci, the pastor suggested making a few small adjustments to the lyrics so that every member of the church could relate to it. And today it's become a bit of an anthem of worship. And today, it's also a reminder of what worship is. It's what we bring, not what the musicians bring. What we bring. 
It's why the psalmist says in Psalm 122, I was glad when someone said to me, hey, let's go to the temple, let's get into the worship space, and now we are here. That's why Alex reminded us in that video earlier in his tips for worship, to sing it out, to sing what you believe or to sing until you believe, but sing. Just a bit of load shedding. But why? Why do we sing? Why do we make a big thing? You may be saying, oh, my voice is terrible. I don't want to subject anybody around me to my voice. But I come back to Mike Pilavachi's big question. What is it that you bring to worship? You see, it's not about the quality of your voice or your ability to hold a note. It's about what you bring to worship. And I kind of keep reminding the musos, it's not about how good you are or how great your voice is or how good you are on the piano. It's about what you bring to church. This week, Gene's going to be talking a little bit about preparation, and, and preparation kind of feeds into it. But what do you bring? What have you brought this morning? Have you brought a heart that is anticipating God to speak, a heart that is open to God's touch, an attitude of being together and enjoying it, an attitude of encouragement? Or did you bring a critical spirit, critical about the preacher and the singers and the musos and the fact that the multimedia is not working this morning? Sorry, Simon. Critical about what you experience when you walk in? Or a, did you bring a closed-off spirit? No one or nothing is going to touch me here. Or a complaining spirit? Didn't like the songs, didn't like the volume, don't like the kids in church. And again, I ask, what have you brought to worship today? I wonder what would happen if we went the Quaker route. The Quakers, when they gather together in worship, in, in their tradition, no one prepares anything. No, there's no prepared sermon. There's no prepared songs, no prepared pre praying. They simply come and gather together, and then they begin to sing and pray and share Scripture as they felt led. It's pretty much what Mike Pilavachi did at Soul Survivor in the 90s. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at worship. And, and one of the key takeaways for today is that worship is not a something we simply participate in by observing or watching others. Worship is something that we do. That we do. And so it all starts with our theme passage for the next few weeks. It all comes from a Jesus encounter. Now, John tells the story of a Jesus encounter, how Jesus had taken his disciples up into Samaria, it's where the Samaritans lived, and one day they're out in the countryside when the disciples start getting hangry. Now, you, you I mean, moms, you understand hangry. Now, imagine Jesus got 12 of them, you know, and eventually he says, man, just go into the town and get some food. He stays behind, in the, sitting in the shade at the well outside a little town. And the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, this woman arrives. She has a bit of a rep. So she comes where nobody else will be there. She's not expecting anybody to be there. And she and Jesus have this interaction. It's clear that Jesus is someone just other than just a man sitting at the well in the shade. Because he begins to tell her stuff about her life that nobody else knows. Well, certainly not a stranger. And so, 
finally she recognizes that he's a prophet. And so she starts to ask him her deepest spiritual questions. So, so for, it's often like that for me. When I, when I go to a wedding where I'm not the officiating minister, I'm, I'm going simply as a guest, and we sit at a table with a group of people who we probably don't know, and, um, and eventually they kind of, somebody discovers that I'm a minister, and, and then people start asking questions about church and faith and God and Jesus, like weird. Now, I know, I know if you're a lawyer and you're sitting at the table, they ask you legal questions. You know, if you're an accountant, they want you to solve all their accounting issues. It's pretty much the same with ministers. So, so she starts asking her, him these deep questions. <coughs> so come with me to John chapter 4. <laughs> So we're in John 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our people have always worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, woman, I be woman, believe me, the time is coming when you will not worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritan worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Salvation comes from the Jews, but a time is coming. And is, in fact, already here. True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They are the kind of worshippers the Father is looking for. God is spirit. His spirit must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah means Christ. And when He comes, He will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, the one you're talking about is the one who is speaking. I am and so here's our kind of theme verse for the next few weeks. But a time is coming, in fact, is already here. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father is looking for. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and truth. That's interesting. She asked this question about where we should worship, the location and how. She's asking where and how we should worship. And Jesus kind of goes to, like, the where is not important. He doesn't even answer the where question. Do we worship on the mountain? Do we worship at the temple? He goes straight to the heart of the matter. What God expects, what God wants, what God desires is that those in worship, who worship, worship in spirit and truth. Let me begin with truth. Again, I ask, what did you bring with you? You see, when we worship in truth, we worship with an authentic attitude. That congregation in Watford back in the 90s had shifted away from this. It had become all about the lights, the music, and the songs, and the experience. And Mike and Matt had to kind of bring it back to authentic attitude. So Mike Pilevachi says, stop, let's strip out all the stuff and let's get back to what worship is really all about. Let's make worship about what each and every one of us bring to the service. I was glad when they said, let us go to the worship space, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad and now we are here. What did you bring with you this morning? You see, it's not about what they bring. 
this incredible little team. It's about what you bring that makes worship. You see, worshiping in spirit and truth is something you do. That little act interaction um, takes place. Uh, I mean, there's this little interaction that takes place in, in, the church, in some church's Facebook page. Someone posts, the worship wasn't really great today. And a few minutes later, someone replies, it wasn't really meant for you. You get the picture. You see, too often, worship is about a performance that the congregation watches. And if the performance isn't great, people complain. Uh, uh, Nicky Gumbel kind of talks about worship like this. He says, often the worship service is like a football match. 22 people out on the field running around like crazy, absolutely exhausted, and 22,000 people on the stands cheering or booing, depending on what's happening on the field. And if we keep with the illustration, worship is actually 22,000 people excitedly, expectantly coming to sing and chant to the greatest coach, the greatest manager, the greatest team owner of all time to praise God for what He is doing and what He has done. Everybody, everything is about bringing glory to God, praise and honor and worship to Him. Every chant, every song, every cheer is dedicated to the one who is above all, whom we come to worship. Everyone participates. We caught a glimpse of that with a Welsh tour a couple of months ago in rugby. I, I was fortunate enough to go to the Loftus game, and it was the first time that in three years people had gone to watch a Springbok rugby game. Uh, up till then, we'd kind of watched on TV because nobody was allowed into the stadium except the players. And, and there was a buzz, and there was an excitement. And, and I mean, they've never sung... Now, you know at Loftus, when they sing in Kosisikilele Africa, the first two verses are sung quite mutedly. And then we get to the Afrikaans, and everybody sings. And the English, it's a little bit quieter, but they still go for it. Well, I want to tell you, all four verses were sung with gusto. Because everybody participated. And friends, when we come together for worship... The question that, that Mike was asking, what have you brought as you come to church today? What have you brought to worship? What have you come to do? What have you added? Because this is a place where we're all supposed to participate. And that's why Alex said, sing loudly. Something happens to the worship team when you sing loudly. We get more excited. We, see, we play better. We sing better. Huh? Otherwise, it's just like, yeah. And that's why it was so hard with masks. Because you couldn't really sing loudly. Because you, every time you took a deep breath, you kind of pretty much sucked that mask down your throat. It was awful. And now, now, we're, now we're doing this thing properly. So, I meant to say at the start of the service, but, but because um, our worship sets have been quite short in terms of uh, songs, um, people have been saying, Jim, why do you make a stand so long? I, I'll answer the question. You can sit at any time. In fact, I don't ask you to stand, particularly because we're not a tradition like the Anglican or the Catholic where you have to stand at a particular point and kneel at a particular point and do particular things at particular times. The reason I ask you to stand is it's much easier to sing loudly when you're standing because your diaphragm is open. Uh, when, we sit, when we sit, we, do, we just tend to sing a little softer. And so 
So you can, you can sit at any time. If there's a long set, and this morning we haven't had long sets, but sometimes there are quite a few songs and prayers and stuff, and you can sit at any time. The other reason we ask you all to stand is that if, if um, Freddie's sitting in front of you, you can't see the screen if he stands. So it's easy if you stand behind him because you can like, stand on your toes and peer over your shoulder. Sorry, Fred. I look for a tall person. Simon's up there, so... So sometimes standing is just a practical thing of being able to see the screens, being able to kind of sing loudly. You can sit at any time. And if you feel tired, uh, please just sit down. You see, worship is what we do in spirit and truth. Authentic worship is when we do it authentically. You read the Psalms. You won't find anything more authentic in worship than the Psalms. Many of the psalms were written, in fact, to be used in worship, and it's clear that the psalmist is brutally kind of honest about what he's going through. God, where are you? It feels like you've left the room, moved out of town, gone on a hike up the mountain. I can't see you. It feels like sometimes you've even turned against me. So the psalmist says, life sucks. But often, kind of having expressed that, kind of says, but I know God is good. And so I'll keep worshiping him, keep doing what Alex said, keep singing until I believe it sometimes. Sometimes it's just pure praise and worship and awe and wonder. Sometimes it's lament, but it's honest and it's authentic. By the way, um, in the time that hymns were used almost exclusively in, to sing in churches, and remember that the founders of the Methodist Church were great hymn writers, John and Charles Wesley wrote, wrote hymns to do two things. They wrote during a time when most of the congregation couldn't read, so they taught scripture through the songs or the hymns, and they taught theology. They explained stuff about God to people who didn't really know about God. Now, today, we live in a time when, although most people are not literate, most people are not reading their Bibles. And so most of the songs we sing are either come directly from scripture or are kind of based on Scripture, or are written in order to teach stuff about God. So we're back there again. And so, you know, I will kind of choose um, not your favorites. I will choose hymns and songs that fit into the service that help us to understand something about God, or that teach us something about Scripture. That everything that, everything that hath breath, Psalm 150 straight from Scripture. You see, we who lead worship have an awful, I don't mean that in a terrible way, but we have a, this huge responsibility of helping you to know God and you to know Scripture and helping God to reach into your heart. And so we will do the things up front. We will choose the songs. Sometimes to help you to sing until you believe and sometimes to help us sing what we believe. Being authentic, worshiping in truth is important. Again, I ask, what do you bring with you to worship? Last week, we were at our granddaughter's dedication at a, a little church in Pretoria East called Every Nation Church. And it's not a Methodist church. Um, and so I was not in my familiar worship space. Come to a Methodist church, you're going to get pretty much something like this. You're going to get some singing and some reading and some scripture and stuff. Um, Hopefully some good theology. Um, if you go to a, a, a kind of very traditional 
African Methodist Church, you'll get a very strong liturgically based service with liturgy and hymns. Um, so I was out of my comfort zone, and, and I had to choose. Was I going to be, what, what was going to my attitude going to be? And that brings us to the second thing. Authentic worship, worship in truth. What was going to be my attitude as I gathered to be gathered there? Was I going to be critical or judgy, or was I going to participate? Even though the most of the songs that they sang were unknown to me, they were a congregation that write their own songs, so they're often singing, pretty much every week, singing new songs that nobody's ever heard before, come out of people's hearts straight to God. Except for two songs, one of which was a bit of a hymn, How Great Thou Art. So I had to make a decision. Was I, was I going to participate, open up my heart to God in that moment? And I decided to do that. And guess what? I was able to worship, and God ministered to me and my wife, Jean, and our kids, and, and the congregation, obviously, as well. I found something very interesting in that congregation, though. So, so their congregation is kind of divided into three, left, middle, right. And, and on the right-hand side, the, those who are kind of charismatic in background worship. So all the kind of, kind of charismatic type people sat on that side, and they raised their hands, and they were singing and dancing, and some were on their knees, and they were having lots of fun. And in the middle, there were people who were like, not there yet, but, but they were lifting their hands. They were like lifting their hands, you know. And, and they were singing a little bit. And then where we were sitting, on this side, was people who like sang to Jesus from their hearts. And, and you know what? In that congregation, our kids tell us the first time they went there, they sat on that side. It was a bit, bit weird because, you know, it wasn't what they were used to. But no one was judgy. If you wanted to get kind of praisey and worshipy and stand and dance and sing, you could do that. And if you wanted to kind of try that out, you could. And if you wanted to just stand and sing, nobody complained, nobody moaned. Because why? It was what everybody brought, their own bit to worship. You see, Jesus just tells us to worship in spirit and truth. It's about my spirit connecting to God, spirit to spirit. It's about my spirit and your spirit together connecting to God. And it's about my spirit, my attitude connecting to the people around me in encouragement. So my spirit, your spirit, your attitude what you bring to worship is important. Do you expect something to happen? Do you expect God to speak? Do you expect God to work? Will you actually allow the preacher to speak God's message to you? Will you open up your spirit to God? Will you open up your life to respond to God? Will you bring something of worth to God? What have you brought this morning? Which takes me back to where we started. I was glad when they said, let us go to the place of worship. Let's go to that space where we could be together in God's presence. And now we are here. What do you bring? Your presence. Glad you're here. Those online, hope you're kind of connecting with us. Your presence. And as I put out on social media this week, please be on time. And, and, and most of you were. I'm not going to kind of look at anybody because I look at you and you weren't on time. But, but remember from the beginning, from the first bit from when Merlin kind of welcomes you and the call to worship and the stuff that happens from there, we're kind of moving in worship beyond time. Your honesty, telling God how you really feel or what's really worrying you, whether it's good or bad, and allow Him to speak back to you. Speaking the liturgy, 
um, when we use liturgy in church, and you're singing, no matter the quality, because you're not singing to me, and you're not singing to your wife or your husband, you're singing to God. Your active listening, listening with your heart, with your spiritual ears wide open, listening to what God might say to you, your attitude of obedience, being willing to go and do what God tells you when you leave, will you worship? When you gather together here, will you worship? What do you bring when you gather here? And I pray that as we continue on this journey, as our incredible preachers here guide us and lead us through this journey. May you worship. Let's pray. What do you bring this morning? Jesus reminds us that we are to worship in spirit and truth. An authentic heart that expresses how we are and where we are and what's happening and what we're wanting God to do, what we need most. Spirit that connects to Jesus, connects to God. pray that as, as we go into communion in a moment, that our coming forward will be part of our doing, participating, being in your presence, allowing you to touch us, allowing us to, ourselves to respond to you. Because what we do here is all about you.